Shortly after recording this podcast, U.S. House Democrats passed H.R. 1808, the so-called assault weapons ban of 2022, by a narrow vote of 217 to 213. This unconstitutional bill now moves to the Senate, and we encourage you to contact your U.S. Senator and urge opposition to this clueless and outrageous legislation. Now let's get to the podcast. From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it now. Keep and Bear Radio. The House Oversight Committee recently staged a public inquisition to blame gunmakers for the acts of criminals. And Democrats are pushing a disingenuous law to allow crime victims to sue gunmakers out of existence. They're also trying to ban sporting rifles and standard capacity magazines. And some Republicans appear to be working alongside Mike Bloomberg to kill the most successful pro-gun, pro-sportsman funding act in American history. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA's Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. I'm glad to be back. Rob, have you checked your mail today? <laughs> I have. Uh, so how many how many political postcards did you get today? I think I got four today. Four. Uh, you're an amateur. Man, uh, I tell you, these races are getting crazy. I'll go out. I need like a wheelbarrow to uh, bring back all the postcards to my house. Uh, you know, state central committee, all these legislative races. People are sending out postcards like crazy. I've never seen it this active before. Now, I tell you what. You know, with this with this special primary coming up on August second, I think it spurred a lot more political activity. You know, I think they're worried about how many people are actually going to get out and vote. Yeah, the predictions have been it might be five percent or less, which means just a handful of votes could sway a lot of these elections. We've been trying to promote the election. We have grades and endorsements out, but a lot of people, I think, they're just scratching their head, thinking, "Wait a minute, didn't we already do a primary?" It's not November yet, so they're still confused. But, you know, it's an opportunity for a lot of our pro-gun candidates. It sure is. And this is what is called in the political world a turnout election, right? So, you know, the November election in every four years, you're going to get mass turnout, presidents on the ballot, that sort of thing. But when you have just a special date that nobody else even really knew of, and it all gets down to who can get their voters out to the polls. And that's called a turnout election. And that's what we're going to have here on Tuesday. Yeah. So if you're listening to this before August 2nd, and this comes out, I think, August 1st, let me check the calendar here. So if, you know, if you're listening to this on day one when this podcast is out, remember, there is an election August 2nd, the second primary in Ohio in this weird 
election year we're having, and it's all about the maps. We've talked about that. I don't want to talk about that again. I'm tired of the stupid maps. But uh, people do need to get out and vote. The other thing to remember is some of the polling locations may change because they're expecting such low turnout. They might consolidate some of these locations. So check your polling place before you go out. Very important. You know, I, I think turnout will be infinitely smaller, one-fourth the size of what it typically is for a primary election. So there's no doubt polling places are going to change. I guess on the good side, most of us aren't going to have to wait in line to vote. Yeah. Well, I, you know, in my area, usually they're pretty efficient and don't have to wait. But I'm going to have to check, too. I'm not I'm not exactly sure where I'm, where I'm going to go. Well, Rob, talking about elections, and I think all of this really is related to the elections, I got to tell you, I know a lot of people's eyeballs are hurting after watching that House Oversight Committee hearing the other day with Ruger and Daniel Defense. I'm calling it a hearing, but let's be honest, that was like an inquisition. And uh, did you see any of that? Yeah, I caught, I caught snippets of it here and there. It, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know for what reason those those the executives decided to come in. I think they feared they were going to get subpoenaed if they did not come in. But, you know, they were brought in to serve the purpose of whipping boy for the left wing, you know, leadership of the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, it really wasn't a hearing. It was more like a show. And let's be honest, this is what politics often is, especially at the federal level. You know, they they have these hearings and it's all for TV. If if it weren't for the TV, honestly, I, I doubt a lot of these hearings would happen. So, you know, just in case some of our listeners don't know what we're talking about, the heads of Ruger and Daniel Defense were called into a hearing with the House Oversight Committee. And basically, they were just blaming them for uh, recent shootings, you know, telling them that they, they should apologize and that, the, you know, they're responsible for all the deaths out there and, and that kind of thing. Fortunately, in this particular hearing, there were some Republicans pushing back. But, you know, it was like five, five and a half hours, and the poor guys just had to, you know, basically sit there and take it. And, that, Rob, this is all part of a strategy to hurt the gun manufacturers and, you know, open the door to civil suits. And I think it's related to one of these bills that uh, they have at the federal level, and that's what we're going to talk about in this podcast is some of this federal legislation. There's a bill, H.R. 2814, with the absurd name— Equal Access to Justice for Victims of Gun Violence Act of 2022. So, you know, the, the what they're trying to sell is, you know, when, when families, you know, somebody gets killed and the family should be able to get justice and sue these gun manufacturers. Well, it's it's absurd. You know, I, I don't know if you if you looked at the bill or not, Rob, but it's it's all about repealing Another bill that was passed back in 2005 called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, and it was trying to prevent exactly what Democrats want to do, which is bring civil actions against firearm or ammunition manufacturers, sellers, importers, dealers, trade associations for any damages resulting not from a problem with their manufacturing, but from the criminal misuse of their firearms. Rob, that's, I, that's ridiculous. Well, look, there's very little that's original that ever comes out of Washington. What they're trying to do is repeat the playbook that they did on Big Tobacco years ago when they brought those executives in and 
you know, beat the snot out of them on national television. And they use that as a springboard to attack them afterwards. You know, that's what they were trying. You know, Smith and Wesson was asked to come in and testify and they actually declined. So now the committee is discussing whether they're going to subpoena them. But I can imagine why they declined for the very reason that we saw, which is, you know, who wants to go in there and just have the crap beat out of you by the likes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Rashida Tlaib or some of the other real ideological radicals that are in that committee. And so this bill that they're trying to roll back, this Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act or, or the PLCAA, you know, that was introduced as I said, back 2005. And that was a time when there were a large number of lawsuits being filed by anti-gun advocates and city governments saying that gun manufacturers were creating a quote-unquote public nuisance by selling guns. So just the mere fact that they were selling guns, they were saying, was a public nuisance. And the goal is the same now as it was then to try to sue these manufacturers out of existence. That is all that this is about. Well, and so what we're seeing here is the unfolding of a two-track war, right? Because on the first front, they like to repeal the protection of lawful commerce of arms, as you say. On the other front, they would like to attack the marketing practices of the manufacturers, which they believe the protection of lawful commerce and arms law does not cover, right? So this is really a double attack on the firearms manufacturers, and it's very scary if they prevail on either one, I think, you know, your, your gun rights will be severely impacted. And I want to be very clear here. You know, if you're manufacturing guns or you're manufacturing ammo, just like any other business, you can be held liable. You can be sued for damages resulting from providing the public with defective products, right? If you're manufacturing ammunition that blows up all the time and hurts people, you can be sued for that. You can be sued for breach of contract. You can be sued for criminal misconduct and other actions if you're directly responsible for it. But what they're trying to do is to sue for things they're not directly responsible for. And, and I'll just give you an example. Let's say that I have a Ford truck and I something goes haywire in my brain. I drive down the sidewalk in downtown Columbus you know, at, at lunchtime. I kill 20 people. So the idea would be then a victim's family gets to sue Ford because I did that, because I used their truck to hurt people. Now, that sets a really bad precedent. If they can do that with firearms manufacturers, with ammo manufacturers, well, we could sue anybody for anything, right? Well, exactly. You know, you could, you could use five other examples, you know, alcohol. You know, I, I consume enough alcohol to where I wind up in a domestic dispute, is alcohol at fault or am I at fault? The answer, of course, is personal responsibility. So, but we know why they want to penetrate the Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. It's very simple. They want to get into the big pockets of the manufacturers. They want to harm them financially and ultimately dry up, you know, widespread availability of firearms to people of, you know, uh, of all economic means. Well, now you said big pockets. Now, let's let's talk about that, because I think there is this notion that gun companies are huge, you know, like Google or Amazon or something like that. But the reality is, in the scheme of things, firearm manufacturers are actually pretty small companies. And, and there are a lot of very small companies out there. 
and a lot of the ammo manufacturers aren't that big either. I just did a quick Google. From what I can find, the entire annual revenue of gun and ammo manufacturers over the course of the year, and I'm talking about all of them, is about $20 billion. Two zero billion with a B, $20 billion. Now, I looked up Amazon, just that one company, and it's expected that this year they're going to make well over $100 billion. Amazon alone is five times the size of the entire gun and ammo industry. So, Rob, you know, this is not an industry that can absorb endless legal settlements from, you know, from people misusing their products. Right, right. And I think, you know, when, the, when they first started talking about attacking the marketing practices, I think a lot of folks, oh, my gosh, you know, we've got protection against that. We've got the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. But that act doesn't appear to specifically name marketing practices. And so that's the loophole that, you know, the every town folks are going to try to exploit. That's what these cities are going to try to exploit. Uh, clearly, that's what the U.S. Congress is going to try to exploit. But over and above that, to your point, this new legislation is just a, a total frontal attack on the, on the Protection of Commerce and Arms Act to repeal it totally. So the Democrats who control Congress, they want to dismantle the protections that, frankly, keep the gun industry functioning so that they can run them out of business. That's the goal. And this whole precedent idea, I think that's important because, you know, these days nobody thinks about setting precedent. Again, if you can do this to a firearms manufacturer, if you can sue Ruger, if you can sue Smith & Wesson, if you can sue Daniel Defense for someone misusing their product— that sets a precedent that you ought to be able to go out and do that with any other company. You can sue an um, ammo manufacturer, as you said, an alcohol uh, maker or seller or any other company. If I take a hammer and I murder somebody with it, then somebody would be able to go out and sue Craftsman or Stanley or whoever made that hammer. It's a ridiculous situation that would prove devastating to all sorts of companies. I, I, just, I just think that the idea itself is silly. Oh, I do too. Uh, so silly, though, that it's actually scary because, you know, that this is something they could actually accomplish. And let's remember, uh, to your point, you know, how much could the gun industry absorb? Well, if they're able to exploit this loophole we're talking about or they're able to repeal that, that law, you know, you're going to see 50 or 60 lawsuits. Right. And, and that alone, that the weight of that alone uh, will spell the end of widespread ability, availability of firearms. Yeah. I think this falls into the category of it's so crazy it might work. Yes. So, so that, that brings us to this other big federal bill that's being talked about right now, H.R. 1808, the so-called assault weapons ban of 2022. I think they changed that because it was 21. So... I think they um, they upgraded the uh, bill a little bit, changed the date. 212 sponsors and co-sponsors, all of them Democrats. So they have a lot of people on board on this. And what this bill does, it makes it a crime to import, sell, manufacture, transfer, or possess a semi-automatic, 
quote-unquote assault weapon, or SAW, they've, they've created some uh, new terms here, or large-capacity ammunition feeding device. So basically, they're, they're just trying to outlaw what they consider evil black rifles, and the bill allows you to continue to possess, you know, a grandfathered firearm of this type, but you have to securely store it. So I'm not sure how they're going to enforce that. I guess you have to, if you have one, it gets grandfathered, then it gets locked up, and you're not allowed to sell it unless it goes through a, a dealer. So universal background check on this is included as well. So Rob, you know, th- this basically bans new sales locks down the current guns, forces all transfers through a dealer. What do you think about all this? Well, I think it's an election ploy. In fact, if, if you've been watching Nancy Pelosi and the way she's been running the House over the last month, she wants to bring a series of votes to the House floor that will force Republicans to take a position. She's going to bring this bill to the floor. They're, I think they'll probably have the votes to pass it. But there's going to be a whole pile of Republicans who are going to then be on record as voting against restriction of assault weapons, right, or high-capacity magazines. You've seen that they've had a whole series of other votes, like on uh, gay marriage this past week, for example, right? They want to set up a series of votes. Uh, they had their veterans vote yesterday on veterans' benefits. They have th- their, their idea is... They're going to go out there and campaign and say, your Republican congressman is radical. He voted against a simple assault weapons ban, or he voted against universal background checks. They're betting the farm that Americans will go to the ballot box and make people pay who don't support this bill. Well, when I was reading about this, you know, Rob, it sounds to me like this is just the first step toward making semi-automatic rifles full-fledged NFA items, you know, like like full auto, because this would very easily lead to registration and tax stamps and all of that, because, you know, with those, you can, you can own them, but you can't manufacture anymore. You can't really uh, sell anymore unless there's a, a severe tax on it. They're all registered. It's, it's a very laborious process. So that seems to be what they're trying to do with this, you know, lock down, lock down the market, and over time, now guns have a long uh, shelf life. If you take care of them 100 years from now, they'll still be working just fine. But the idea is to lock it down and have it wither away. And, and I, I, yeah. I, that's got to be the second step that they're looking at. Well, and you look at all the things they've done in this bill, right? So assault weapons, check. High cap magazines, check. Universal background check, you know, uh, checks. You check that one off, you're so-called safe storage of firearms check that one off so really they're they're billing this as an assault weapons bill but it's quite a bit more comprehensive than that so you you've said that you think it has there's a chance in the house now they they keep playing around with it because you know they say well we're gonna have a floor vote oh no we're not and well we're gonna vote in august no wait it might be today so i think they're they're jerking people around do do you really think that this will pass in the House, with with an election coming up, I mean, if you were to give it odds, what what do you think? Just for the House, I'm talking. Just for the House, better than fifty fifty. What about the Senate? In other words, what about the Senate then? The Senate's not going to call this bill up for a vote. So if you know that, then you have to say to yourself, why is she doing it? And that brings me back around to my initial point. This is about 
putting House Republicans in key competitive races on the record for taking these votes and their opponents, right? Let's face it. Most people think the House is going to flip to Republican. But there's a difference between it flipping to, you know, major control or maybe just a a small majority that makes it practically ungovernable. We've certainly seen that before. So I think, you know, she's she's putting the House Republicans on a whole series of votes that the Democrats believe are going to be politically unpopular. You know, access to abortion. That was another one I forgot. They, you know, they they put them all on the record on that one. I heard they're going to bring one up on biracial marriage. I'm going to make you vote on biracial marriage, right? And of course, none of these are going to discuss whether the federal government should be even taking these positions. That's beside the point. You're just going to be labeled as the guy who voted against controlling the weapon that was used in Uvalde. That's what this is all about. Yeah, and a lot of this is just gaslighting. I mean, we see this. It's not. It's not just the federal level. You know, a lot of these uh, people love to just gaslight their constituents get them worked up about things that aren't actually going to pass or are not really, I mean, like the whole thing about interracial marriages. I mean, g- g- give me a break. Regardless of how anybody might feel about that, that that's settled in this country. That is not going to come up. People are being gaslighted about these issues. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it gets people angry. And that's really the point because, you know, fundraising, I, I've done a lot of that uh, in my marketing career. And you get people angry, and that's the mental place they need to be to extract money from people. You got to get them angry, get them scared. Those are the two emotions that separate people from their money. So, you know, for our listeners, just be careful. There's a lot of gaslighting going on right now. Alan, it's it's a twofer, right? So you get people fired up so you can raise money. You get people fired up so they be sure to vote. So House Democrats... They believe all these different issues that they're putting on the House floor will compel the left to get out there and vote. You know, I think a lot of our gun rights advocates across the country, we, you know, we get caught up at some certain times of the year fighting amongst ourselves. And, you know, it's fine. We all can have our various preferences when it comes to primaries and that. But boy, this November, if you are a Second Amendment supporter, you got to get out and vote and you've got to get out and vote for candidates that support your right because the other side is doing everything they can to gaslight their people, as you say, to make sure they turn out. And I think we've seen some narrowing of the polls here in recent weeks. You know, I think two months ago, it looked like a slam dunk. Republicans were going to sweep into power in Congress. The latest polls would show you that the Senate may very well stay Democrat and the House might be more narrow. So this is this gets back down to who cares enough to get out and vote. And gun rights supporters, they just got to be out there to be counted. They got to get out and vote. So, um, you know, we have no idea when, if either of these bills that we've been discussing might pass. We issued an alert on this the way a lot of organizations have. So regardless, you know, we were told that they, they yanked this bill recently, but I recommend... If you're listening to this, go to our website, look for the Take Action article that we published, and I believe it's uh, called Take Action, Tell Your Representative to Oppose Federal Gun Control. If you click on the link in that, it takes you to our alert. You can send a pre-written email to your U.S. representative. Just let them know that you oppose these bills. 
And and again, we're talking about HR eighteen oh eight and HR twenty eight fourteen. So th- this is about uh, banning, basically banning ARs. That's that's what we're talking about, and allowing suing of uh, manufacturers of firearms and ammunition. Just tell them, look, I don't support this at all, and I expect you to oppose this if or when it ever comes up for a vote. Right. So, Rob, uh, one more piece of legislation. Now, last time you were on the podcast, we talked about H.R. 8167, and this was a bill to basically repeal the Pittman-Robertson Act. Now, technically, it doesn't repeal it, but it could certainly damage it. It's trying to change the funding on this. And just so that our listeners are are up to speed, explain what Pittman-Robertson is briefly and and how that works and why gun owners should care. Yeah, so in 1937, so 85 years ago, gun manufacturers supported by American sportsmen asked Congress to pass the Pittman-Robertson Act. The Pittman-Robertson Act dedicates an excise tax, that is a tax on manufacturers, to be used for the benefit of hunting and shooting sports. So over the last 85 years, virtually every public shooting range that you've ever shot on has been funded by this act. Virtually every expansion of hunting land in a state that you hunt in has been funded by Pittman-Robertson. Virtually every training class or hunter education class that has been sponsored by a state has been funded through this mechanism. Virtually every program meant to recruit new hunters or new shooters, target shooters, self-defense shooters, recreational shooters of all type, nearly every one of those programs has been funded through the Pittman-Robertson Act. Now, virtually everybody who supports BFA is conservative. And so, you know, your gut reaction is, that's eh, a tax. I don't like the sound of that. But if there is ever a program that just should be left alone because it's functioning so well, this would be the one. It's produced billions of dollars in shooting ranges and the various programs I just mentioned. And it's important that we continue to grow the ranks of those who use firearms as part of their everyday life. So every person who takes a hunter safety class is learning about guns. Every person who goes to a public shooting range has a chance to learn about guns. So we need this in our country. Now, the bill would not do away with the Pittman-Robertson program, but instead of funding it with this excise tax, it would fund it with offshore drilling revenue. So oil and gas revenue essentially would replace the firearms excise tax. And on paper, that might sound like a great idea. Hey, look, we won't have to pay for it. We'll make the oil companies pay for it. But here's what we've learned about Congress in our lives. Let's be honest. Congress can't keep its hands off of any pot of money. So it's oil and gas revenue. So on the left, they're going to want to use that money to combat climate change. We've heard people talk about using that money to lower gas prices. I think every day of the week, someone will come up with a different use for that oil and gas revenue. But for 85 solid years, the excise tax on firearms and ammunition has footed the bill for this really important program. 
And the last thing I'll say about a dean is that sportsmen overwhelmingly support the Pippin Robertson Act. And if there's one thing we know about the left wing radicals in this country, they would love to see a wedge driven between gun rights activists and American hunters. Because right now we largely see the world through the same lens. We're largely unified. But when you have a bill that would eliminate the Pittman-Robertson program or eliminate its funding mechanism supported by gun rights folks, inevitably you're going to wind up fighting amongst ourselves, gun rights activists versus hunters. And the only people who benefit from that are the Mike Bloombergs of the world and people who think like he does. And the evidence that we have for that, the left wing is calling openly for the elimination of the Pittman-Robertson Act. And so, you know, for those who say it doesn't sound like such a bad idea, if you turn around and look around and you say, gosh, who's with me on this? And you see Mike Bloomberg or you see George Soros, it might just be a hint that you're unwittingly siding with people who would take your gun rights away in a New York minute. So I think uh, this is one of those cases where we want to stay together with our hunting constituency and, and keep something going that has just proven to be an enormous success. And there has been huge pushback on this. I mean, we, we've heard that just thousands upon thousands of emails and calls have been made and it took a lot of the you know, the sponsors and the co-sponsors uh, we've heard by surprise, like they were, wow, you know, we didn't expect pushback on something like this. In fact, five co-sponsors have pulled out on this bill so far. And uh, the, the word that we have, Rob, is that this bill is unlikely to pass at this point and probably won't be introduced in the next Congress. Is that your read? Sir, well, on the, on the first item, for sure. You know, I think it is very unlikely that this bill would pass during this Congress. So will it come back next Congress? I think that's possible. I don't think we're going to convince all 58 co-sponsors of this bill to back away from their support. But a lot of them have signaled that they're pulling off. Five of you said, but in addition to that, there have been others who have committed they would never co-sponsor it again. So I think, you know, what this bill did for us this session is wake up our community. This is a program that's been almost universally supported in our community ever since I've been around 25 years. So now for the first time we realized, wow, you know, there were 58 co-sponsors of this thing and all of them consider themselves gun rights ad uh, advocates. So we've got some education to do. And I think some of that work's already begun and it's bearing fruit. So we've got a chance to let our members of Congress know why we support Pippin Robertson and so that we dry up the opportunity for this thing to happen again next year. And Rob, I think this was just an example of a bill being introduced by people we would ordinarily support and uh, people who would ordinarily support us, but they introduced it without really understanding what they were doing. I mean, right. did, do you agree on that? I mean, this is, they just, they just sort of got into something that on the surface sounded good. They didn't dig into it or really consult with all the people it was going to affect before they introduced the bill. Yeah, I think, I think the vast majority of co-sponsors certainly fall into that category. I saw an article 
in the Huffington Post of all things. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, oh my goodness, you're, you're reading the Huffington Post. Well, you know, it's one of those cases. Do you, do you not want to read what the, what the fringe element is saying, or do you want to be clued in? So I go back and forth on that. Sometimes I can't stomach reading their stuff. Other times I feel like we need to know what they're saying. In this case, they were talking about the outpouring of opposition that has come from hunting groups and you know the co-sponsors that were pulling their support for the bill. The, this goes back to what I said before. The left is loving the idea of this fight. Watching gun owners and sportsmen and women fight amongst each other is just absolutely a dream come true for them. And the thing that I'm always trying to explain to people, and I'm, I'm a broken record on this, is the idea that, you know, it's not enough just to elect the right people. It's not enough to pass the right bills and to protect our rights. We have the power that we have because of the culture that we have, because people participate in shooting sports. If people don't participate, think about England. Having firearms, participating in anything having to do with shooting there is very, very difficult. If you don't have the public behind it, then you don't elect the right people, you can't pass the right laws, you can't defeat the bad laws. If we lose the culture war over this, we lose the legislative war. So it's one thing to sit at home on the couch and say, well, you know, as long as I have my AR, as long as I have my rights right now, we're fine, don't bother me. Well, sorry that that's just not enough. If we lose the culture, we lose everything else. Because it all flows from that. That is why America is unique on the gun issue, because most of the country owns guns, and therefore they support gun rights. Right. Right. And, and you know, Dean, you know, we were together earlier this week. We got to tour the Spring Valley shooting range as part of a meeting with a member of Congress about this very issue. Well, I've heard people say, well, you know, there are private ranges where you can go shoot. And that's true. There are some private ranges, but there aren't a whole lot that are as big as that one. And there aren't a whole lot that offer as many different types of opportunities as that one. And there certainly are not many that offer that opportunity as inexpensively as that one. So in a world without Pittman-Robertson, you're going to rely on private shooting ranges and they're going to leave people out. And, the, you know, does government need to be involved in everything we do? Certainly not. But boy, if you were going to list the top thousand government programs to eliminate, I'd have to think Pittman Robertson would have to be down there around, you know, 997 or 998. And what did they say that uh, with Spring Valley that they could handle around 300 shooters? And, and what private range, if you're going to go to, you know, one of these indoor ranges, generally they're going to have, I mean, a good size one might be 20 or more lanes right most of them even smaller than that but out at spring valley they can handle just just a huge number of people coming out to shoot at any given time and the price don't even you know there's there's no competition on price 24 bucks you buy a, a shoot a pass a range pass from the division of wildlife 24 dollars. you can shoot as much as you want as often as you want all year long you're going right. to pay about that for one visit to a private range. Yes. And, and, you know, Spring Valley has a, an assortment of different shooting facilities, right? So we saw the pistol range. We saw the rifle range. One of the ranges goes out to a hundred yards. You know, their ranges have, 
you know, 25 and 50 that you can set up targets. It, it's really just, it's about as nice of a range as you'd ever want. And that is brand new. It was opened up last year, I believe, as a direct result of the program that is frankly being attacked with this legislation. Yeah. And if you've never been to either of these, now there are other ranges that are being worked on more, you know, are going to be upgraded and there are deals being struck with some private ranges like uh, Cardinal Shooting Center, for example, right. just north of Columbus. But if you've never been to Spring Valley or if you've never been to the new Delaware shooting range, you got to go. Go and just take a look at these places. I mean, it's going to make your eyeballs pop on, on how nice these really are. We were joking down at Spring Valley that it used to be basically, you know, a line of picnic tables where guys could go and sit down and sight in their rifles. Man, it's world class now. And and yeah, archery it, it, and archery ranges, and yeah. what do they call it? Three D, three D archery range. They've got the meeting facilities, indoor archery. They got wet labs for you know training. Uh, you know when you're hunting, how to process your meat. It's it's just astonishing how how much you can do at that range. One of the cool things that I learned on that tour is that they get people who show up there with a brand new firearm, many of them ARs, brand new firearm in the box. And Division of Wildlife Range personnel are instructing people on how to shoot that gun for the first time. So when I first heard about this range, that was not a benefit that occurred to me. That's a heck of a deal. Yeah, private instruction, and most of it's free, right? Yep, yep. And it's, it's lit. You know, they've got lighting in there. Uh, there are, you know, bathrooms. So, you know, which a lot of us roll our eyes all oh, who has to have a bathroom, right? Well, I can tell you this right now, the fastest growing demographic of firearms purchasers in America are women. And the average lady's not going to show up at a shooting range. that doesn't have a bathroom, right? So that kind of stuff's important. And yeah, for, for you, Rob, for you, for you and me, you know, a tree is fine, yeah. but uh, yeah, the, the ladies aren't going to be too happy with that. And, and again, we want as many gun owners out there as possible and we've had this big spike in the last couple of years of brand new people coming online with firearms why would we want to disrespect them or make them not want to go shoot or not want to own firearms we're just hurting ourselves when we do that That, that's just a really short-term viewpoint we have to get as many people into the shooting sports as possible and in the hunting world you can talk about this rob i mean hunters are decreasing right? Yes. Yes. And the number one reason they're decreasing is access to places to hunt and shoot. So Pittman Robertson pays for the cultivation of morning dove hunting fields, for example, that support dove hunting. They pay for the pheasant hunts that we bring young people out to teach them how to hunt. They pay for access for veterans and for disabled people to get access to hunting fields, right? And I'm glad you brought up Cardinal because, you know, Cardinal Shooting Center is fabulous incredible amount of shooting opportunities at that facility most of that stuff was paid for by a grant from the ohio division of wildlife using pittman robertson dollars so if you've ever gone over to cardinal to watch the state shoot or to shoot trap or to shoot sporting clays the various other shooting facilities they have there all of that was paid for by this program that we're talking about today and they're not the only ones that applies to and they didn't the, the Pittman Roberts didn't pay for that so that Cardinal could close it off. There were strings attached to that money 
because they took the Pittman-Robertson money, Cardinal must be open to the public. They can't become some private club that only 100 people are allowed to go shoot at. They have to be accessible to the public. And so even in the private examples, Pittman-Robertson has proven to be a great benefit. Yeah. And Buckeye Farms Association has worked with the Division of Wildlife to extend these public ranges, setting up deals with the private ranges so that they'll offer a certain number of hours so you can get these $24 range passes. You can use those at Cardinal during certain times, and you can use them at other ranges too. So to expand, everyone's always saying, well, there aren't enough public ranges. I agree. So that was one of the points of that and why we got on the range committee. Uh, Larry Moore and I were on the range committee for several years, you know, helping to set this up. And so this is all connected. This is all part of the same thing. More access for shooters, more access for hunters. So we absolutely have to protect Pittman-Robertson. So, Rob, uh, this is our wrap-up of federal legislation. Is there anything out there, anything else that uh, you want to talk about? No, I think we've covered some pretty heavy stuff today. And, you know, what do we want to leave you with? Get out and vote on August 2nd. And uh, make sure you tell your friends and family as long as they think like we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we all also. Yeah, we all have uh, you know a variety of friends and family who think in all different directions. So yeah, yes. uh, be careful about who you tell to get out, get out and vote. Yeah. You know. Yes. Well, Rob, thanks for being on the podcast and for your uh, wisdom on all of these issues. We'll have you back again soon. That sounds great, Dean. Thanks. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.